welcome to the Soar Community Network podcast with your host, Malie Ponpadit. Here, inside our community, we help each other see, own, articulate, and release our unique message and mission into the world. Uncover your gifts and talents, release your passions, own your purpose, and let's soar together. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the SOAR Community Network podcast. I am your host, Mali Panpadith, and today we have Mark Miller with us. Mark is the founder of Career Pivot, which helps those in the second half of life design careers that they can grow into for the next 30 plus years. Mark authored the book, Repurpose Your Career, a practical guide for the second half of life published this year in April. He also authored the book, Personal Branding for Baby Boomers, what it is, how to manage it, and why it's no longer optional. And that was published in September of 2015. He has been featured on Forbes.com, PBS Next Avenue, 60andMe, Mashable, Flex Jobs, Life Hacker, and many other popular internet properties. Career Pivot was selected for the Forbes Top 100 websites for your career. Mark has made six career pivots himself, serving in several positions at IBM, in addition to working at two successful Austin, Texas startups, teaching math in an inner city high school and working for a local nonprofit. Thank you so much for being with us today, Mark. Oh, it's great to be with you. I really appreciate that you took the time out of your busy life to be with us and sharing really um, what happens when you're pivoting or even before you pivot from career. So let's talk a little bit about your eclectic career. Let's start there. It seems appropriate. (laughs) So tell us a little bit about your background. Oh, I am. I was born in New Jersey, raised, actually born in New York, raised in New Jersey, and I did as my parents told me to do and went off to college and got my engineer degree at Northwestern. And then I went to work for IBM and I quote, wandered around for 22 years. Mm-hmm. I, <clears throat> I made a bunch of career changes all at IBM back when corporations wanted generalists, not specialists. Mm-hmm. And then in 1999, they screwed me on my pension and I said, goodbye. And I went to, I left, which was unusual because no one ever left the mothership. <laughs> uh, I, you know, it's funny. I've gone back and looked at my career and I've always made moves. I've always moved on my terms and not my employer's terms. So I left and I went to work for a successful startup, uh, Agira, a network processor startup. And we were bought out by Lucent, which is the sister of IBM. And then on July 11th of 2002, uh, a big-time cyclist that came down a hill at about 25 miles an hour turned into a blind turn and hit a Toyota Corolla going 25 miles an hour the same head-on. Wow. Uh, I I totaled the car. I spent five days in the trauma center. Uh, I tore up a knee. I broke a hip. I dislocated a shoulder, broke a bunch of ribs, broke the clavicle, had the imprints to the pads of the helmet in my head. Mm. But I had no internal injuries and no brain injuries I'm willing to admit to. <laughs> they, had me walking on, they had me walking on crutches in three days. I was back on a bike in 10 weeks, flying back to China in four months. 
And oh, by the way, I flew right smack into the SARS epidemic in 2002 in Guangdong province. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> I.e., it was my WTF moment. Right. Why am I doing this? Uh, Agira had left us debt-free, didn't leave us rich. Our son had just graduated from high school and was heading off to college. And I said, why am I still doing this? So I laid myself off the next year, went off and taught high school math uh, in, a, in an inner city high school. I was highly successful. I couldn't do that and stay healthy. Mm. After two years, I was totally burned out. In fact, I'm doing a, I'm, I'm going to be on my podcast in another two or three weeks talking about that experience because there's a lot to be learned from it. And then I went off and did a year of nonprofit fundraising of all things. I went to the Jewish Community Center and I commonly joke, being a non-Jew, being the face of a Jewish organization is interesting. <laughs> and uh, after a year, I realized I could not work for any nonprofit. They were too dysfunctional. And I, quote, I relapsed. I went back into another tech startup, which was life-size. And then we got bought up by Logitech, and I got real slimy. And I formed Career Pivot in 2012 primarily because I didn't see anyone uh, addressing the issues that folks, those of us in the second half of life, because we were all supposed to go retire. Right. And the reality is very few of us are going to go retire. Mm -hmm. And so, and I, and I look at it, I wrote out both the dot-com recession and the great recession at successful tech startups. My timing could not have been better. You know, the joke is I'd rather be lucky than good. I was incredibly lucky. Mm -hmm. Most of my colleagues and my friends were not so lucky. And so I'm looking at, I have seamlessly gone from career to career to career, and I've been successful. And so I started Career Pivot around the fact that I know how to build systems. I'm a recovering engineer. Yes, there's a 12-step program for that. <laughs> and, and looking at, okay, how did I do it each time and put a system in place? So as I said in my LinkedIn profile, I've had an eclectic career to say the least. Right. Now let me ask you this. We're going to get back to the systems in a second because that's so important, the fact that you spoke in those terms because you can't necessarily wing things all the time. You know, people say, I'll just wing it. Well, um, in your case, if you had tried to just wing it uh, time and time and again without some type of knowledge or system to help you stay in a career and pivot successfully, I want to talk about that in a second. What does it mean to uh, pivot successfully? But before that, what does career pivot mean? What does pivoting in your career really mean? And why is it so important in the second half of, of life? Well, number one, most of us, when we reach our 40s and 50s and 60s, we can't afford to make these big leaps going from being an engineer to being a pie, pie baker. Or, you know, <laughs> uh, We have things like mortgages to pay and kids to put on college through college and, you know, pay to put food on the table and all those wonderful things that we managed to find, uh, all these obligations we managed to find. And so it's making incremental changes. We came up with the term career pivot 
because I look back and every one of my career changes was what I refer to as a half-step career change. I.e., I had one foot in the old world. Mm -hmm. I had one foot in the new world. And there was always a relationship that took me across. In other words, I never did it alone. And so it wasn't it wasn't making these huge leaps. It was making incremental changes. And there was always someone who trusted me and knew that I had some of the skills and I could learn the rest as I went along. So a good example, I've been in learning and development uh, through much of my technology career. So making the next step to teaching high school was was a natural progression. No, I've been teaching adults and teaching Hispanic adolescent boys is pretty different. <laughs> I can imagine. But, right? Uh, lots of testosterone in the room. But it was it's it's a it's a natural progression. It's a pivot. It's not the making this big huge leap. Right. And that's why you said it's so important for those in the second half of life because of those responsibilities, correct? Because of the things that you can't just start over per se completely. Is that what yeah. you mean? Yes, completely. It, you know, and like I was talking to a prospective client on Friday, some of us have, we have big needs. And suddenly when you, you're going from making $300,000 a year, you suddenly can't go to 50. Uh, and, and going, okay, but what can you do and how can you incrementally get there? Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about repurposing your career, repurpose your career, what do you mean? Can you give some more specifics in, um, in terms of your definition? Sure. Whenever we make a change, you, you have two sets of knowledge or skills. You have your business skills or acumen. And the second is you have your industry knowledge and skills. The reality is you're going to make, you're going to repurpose one of those and then learn the next. So my, my intern who helps me, who's 50 some odd years old, Elizabeth Rebay, she's a class example. She had been doing air and water permitting in an environmental engineering firm for years. So what she did was within the same firm, move from doing air and water permitting to doing, to doing a business, business development and marketing role. In other words, she already knew the business. She knew all about environmental engineering. She knew who the customers were. And the idea was to get her mover into that kind of position, uh, take her industry knowledge, but allow her to attain the marketing skills and the business development skills. From that point, she has since moved on to a pure marketing role, and believe it or not, a mining equipment company. Yes, if you have big rocks in your yard, she can help you. She can she can sell you rock crushers. <laughs> um, and then what we will probably do is next move her probably into a nonprofit or an NGO in a pure marketing role. Gotcha. Right. It's. And this is very common mm-hmm. is and and very often, if you want to move into a com- different 
business acumen, it's usually easier to do that in your existing company. Right. Now, you had mentioned earlier a prospective client. So someone comes to you and they say, I need support. I'm thinking about a career pivot. Um, what, how could you help them? And, and, this, and this is the, the part where you can share a little bit about the steps that one should follow when they're pivoting as well. But if a prospective client were to come to you and say, Mark, I need a little support. I'm thinking about a career pivot. How would you help them? Well, this step number one is know thyself. Mm-hmm. One of the big challenges we all have is when we go into work, we take on roles. We're actors. We play the role our employer wants us to play. And what happens over time is we start believing we are that role. I'm a classic example. I'm a closet introvert. I am actually very introverted. You would never know that meeting me. I am a phenomenally good public speaker. I did that for 10 years for IBM where that was my full-time job. I was a geek that could speak or an articulate techno weenie, which is an ox- which is an oxymoron. <laughs> and and so I played that role. By the way, I'm really good at it. Mm-hmm. By the way, when I walk off stage now and I'm 61, you know what? I'm cooked. I am done. I am toast. I am exhausted. I am not an extrovert, but you would never know that. So what I do is I use the Berkman assessment, which I call Myers-Briggs on steroids, Mm -hmm. and I will pick your personality apart. And I will use the assessment to take you back to the best of times and the worst of times in your career and get you to understand why. Because we have a nasty habit when we make changes we tend to go back to things that are familiar. It's, I commonly joke, when I, when I left my nonprofit job, I, quote, relapsed. I went back to something that's familiar, and that was high-tech training at a startup. Was that good for me? No. <laughs> Absolutely not. But it was familiar. So this is no different than the woman who is married to an abusive husband, She divorces him, and then she marries another one. We tend to go back to familiarity, even if it's not good for us. I want you to understand what you have done to yourself, and then you have choices. And then we use the assessment to go back and and looking at building, you tell me who you are. I've got a whole system for doing that. Then we look at, the Berkman will give me a decision-making style. And then I'll say, okay, go find three problems you solved in your personal life and three problems you solved at work. How'd you do it? I want you to be able to explain how your brain works. And the write-up I'll give you will kind of give you, will poke you in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Um, out of the Berkman, we'll get the, your top 40 needs. I have you synthesize those down to 10 and then go write an open-ended question that you can, that when you go talk to somebody and you can ask and you know exactly what you're listening for, because you know what, when you go into different, different environments, the key piece here is I don't want you to suffer from what I call MSU, 
make stuff up. Uh huh. And you can take stuff and replace it with the appropriate tool. Right, yes. <laughs> right. Uh, is as you're going out and exploring, when we don't know, we tend to fill the void in our brain. And so uh, the classic example, when I went off to teach high school math, I assumed they would want me. They were had a shortage of math teachers. They were putting all these programs to recruit folks to be math teachers and science teachers and special ed. Now, did they want me? No. They didn't want any guy over 40. We don't do what we're told. <laughs> and I can give you lots of funny stories about that. And so when I went through my certification program, every one of us who was male and over 40, we couldn't get interviews. Wow. And I ignored every sign that they didn't want me. Like, they asked me, the first question on the application was, can you give me the names and telephone numbers of all your previous supervisors? Mm. Let's see. My first boss, Bob Buckholz. I worked for in 1976 in Chicago. He was his late 40s and a heavy smoker. I don't think he's around anymore. You know, and, and I just looked at it, and, I, and they were looking for very compliant kids. Right. I, those who came fresh out of college, they did not want us. Mm -hmm. And I just ignored that. And I've got lots of other examples that I just made stuff up. And the idea is to start dealing from facts. You know, it's dealing with things like, you know, when I went off to teach high school, we had a number of teachers who didn't make it because they couldn't be on their feet all day. Oh, by the way, on your feet all day on hard concrete floors. Mm. These are all factors that yeah. you got to, right? You got, you got to do your homework and say, can I do that and be realistic about it? Right. Now, have you had clients where they came to you with an idea of where they wanted to take their career, whether it was um, a well thought out repurposing of the career or just wanted to do something completely different and then going um, through the steps and process with you they realize that what they thought was going to be their next phase in life career-wise is completely not for them. Has that happened a lot, or is it, are they usually on point in terms of the direction they want to take their career? It, it varies a lot. There is no one model that works, but I'll, I'll, I've got, I have a gentleman on my podcast, Mike Martin, who's a classic example. He came out of – he was an industrial sales guy. And by the way, B2B sales, business-to-business -business sales is dying. It's, everything's moving online. Mm -hmm. And so he first thought he would go off and be a school teacher. And by the way, he had done a lot of work in the schools. And his timing was horrible because he came he, – he got his certification about the same time that the Great Recession hit. And so there were no teaching positions. He's a, he's a pilot on the side and he went back and he actually had to go back and get his bachelor's degree. So his bachelor's, he got his bachelor's degree in aviation. And so when we talked, he said, you know, when he was a kid, if it had wings, wheels, or keels, it was cool. <laughs> so he started going, okay, what can I go out and drive? And believe it or not, he went from Austin to Houston and got a job at Houston Metro. He ended up, First test, he, he became first certified to drive trains. He couldn't get his first 
leg on the train because there were no positions available, but they were opening up the new red line. And so he ended up spending two years testing the red line. Had a blast. Mm-hmm. But but after two years, it, it was it, being in a government bureaucracy became a bit much. Okay. But he learned an awful lot about himself. He like he realized he was teaching other very uh, accomplished uh, railmen how to drive the trains. And these trains, by the way, are now they're massive computers. And so he was doing the burn-in of the the new trains and testing out the lines, and he was having a blast. But he returned to Austin. He was trying to figure out, what do I do next? And believe it or not, he is now a drone pilot instructor. That's crazy. (laughs) he He works for Dart Drones, which you may have heard of because they were on Shark Tank. Uh huh. And Mark Cuban bought 20% of them or something like that. That's so cool. And... The fact that we went down this path, but the reality was you couldn't have predicted because four years ago, we didn't have these prosumer drones that people are using for just about everything these days. They didn't exist. And so as, as he went down each step, he learned more and more about himself. And so, and, and I'll, make this point really clear. He had a very, very supportive spouse. Right. And so when he says, I'm going to Houston, he went down there and bought a a used mobile home or a used uh, RV and parked it in a trailer, apparently a quite swanky trailer parked six minutes from where he'd be, be working. And he was willing to go back and forth. So the answer comes down to us is, the reality is whenever you make these changes, they usually never turn out the way you expect. Right, right. You mentioned something that was very interesting earlier about um, pivoting in your career and how important it was to have a, a supportive uh, a support system. And right, you know, just recently you said about having a supportive spouse. For those that are in their second half of life and are not married or widowed or just, you know, not having that significant other, where else could they find that support system, Um, you know, in terms of making the right decisions, talking about it, expressing themselves? Because often when we don't have the support system, we just kind of go based on fear and uh, and oftentimes we move from one place uh, that we did we thought was unhealthy or we didn't like it into another unhealthy <laughs> environment uh, because we didn't have anybody to run the ideas by you know in terms of of course they want to call you you want them to call you and hire you but let's say just even before the the idea of thinking about changing their career you know what are some of the common patterns, thoughts, emotions that grow, go through somebody's head before they even make that decision? How would they go about um, getting the support they need? Okay. The thing you have to remember is you're not going to do this alone. So you're going to need to build what I refer to as your fan club. Sometimes these are just people who are just going to go, 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 go. I, when I went off to teach high school math, I sent an email out to about a hundred people about every three weeks. They became my fan club. I wouldn't have gotten through my first year of school 
had it not been for those folks. I got more encouragement. And these people came from my past, from my friends, from work colleagues. They came from all over the place. And so I, there's a, the concept is you can maintain a maximum of about 150 relationships in your life. By the way, that's often referred to as the Dunbar number. (laughs) And so who are those 150 people you need? And start working on those relationships. The second comment I want to make is I always tell people, I never want you to run away from something. I want you to run to something. That's a great point. Right? Yes. We, We have this horrible habit of wanting to run away, not knowing what we're running to. And by the way, usually when we run away, we run to the exact same thing we ran away from. So figure out what's wrong, what do you actually want? And by the way, for most of us, it's more important who we work with in the environment than what we do. Right. So if I give you, you know, a great job, but put you with a crappy boss, crappy team, don't reward you and a bunch of other stuff, you'll be miserable. I can give you, I can give you a job that you don't like, but reward you and put you with a great boss and a great team. And you're going to be at least okay. Now, Mark, how does one figure that out before they take the position? So let's say that they have identified now the direction they want to go, the career that they want. They found an opportunity. They go on the interview. They're thinking about the idea. But just like you said, how does one find out prior to signing off and joining the team that it's the right place for them? Okay. Remember what I said about having the right questions and knowing what you're listening for? Right. So having the right questions so you can play detective. The second thing is you want to reach out to people who are working at the place you want to be. Do they like being there? Then you also want to reach out to people who have left. By the way, you'll usually get more authentic um, stories from them. Right. That makes sense. Right. And Mm -hmm. start going. It's called being a detective. Uh, I had a client a couple of years ago who actually was a negotiator and he used the Jim camp uh, negotiation system, which is a, there's a book, Jim has passed away, but he has a book out there starting, starting with no. And I, I went, I read the book and I said, wow, I can apply this to just about every part of my career. And it's, it's starting out with a mission statement. Why am I doing this? Second, I'm, I want to ask really good questions. One of my goals throughout the whole process is to get you to spill the beans. I want to understand what, you know, it's kind of like the doctor. Does this hurt? If I poke you, does it hurt here? Does it hurt here? Mm-hmm. I want to find out where it hurts. Because then I can say, okay, is that a, that's a problem. And do, is that something that I w- both can solve and I want to solve? And if I can, then I can go sell myself. Yeah. Right. Yes. And, and all through, and, and the, one of the other ones that I love 
is is to keep a very even keel through the, the whole process. In other words, keep your emotions in check. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. Because it's it's really, really key. And when they spill the beans, you don't say, wow, I got the job. <laughs> no, you don't. It's it's there's a it's a whole system of negotiations, which, by the way, Donald Trump is not a good negotiator, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> when I when I went through the camp system, I said, wow. And <laughs> it it is it is it's all about w- walking through the whole process with knowledge. Mm-hmm. It's like that with life, everything, right? Everything in life in terms of decision-making is making sure that we have everything we need to make the right decisions, the facts, the opinions, um, the different sides, like you said, you know, people who are in the organization, people who have left the organization, top-level managers, and those that are on the front line. I I really love the uh, concept of being an investigator, as you move into the next phase of your career. Now I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk about your books um, and especially the brand new one that was just published and released this year, Repurpose Your Career, A Practical Guide for the Second Half of Life. And when you talk about practical guide, is that when you really uh, speak to the system and the steps that's involved? Yeah, I talk about both the system and one of the things is this was a second edition. One of the things I wanted to do was add lots and lots of stories. Because when people hear, oh, you can do that, you can, and finding out that, oh, they're like me. I have other people who have the same problems that I do. That's really, really helpful. A good example of that is, Um, I I talk in the book about understanding what makes you feel valued. And I I break it down into six things. Number one, the mission. I find nonprofit folks and the military, if the mission is right, they don't care about anything else. The second is the bonus check, the financial reward. The third is the public recognition. The funny thing is the last three don't cost anything, which is the pat in the back from your boss your team, or your client. Most of us want two, maybe three of those. By the way, you may actually have to go ask for it. (laughs) Because a lot of bosses assume, oh, everybody wants to be stroked just like me. And the reality is, nobody wants to get stroked like you because we are all so different. Right. So I I have a former client who, it was real important for his boss to tell him that he did a good job. And we were sitting across the table. I said, well, hey, Greg, go, go, go talk to your boss. Go ask him. I can ask him? I said, yeah. So he went into his boss and said, how am I doing? His boss said, great. And then Greg responded back, can you tell me, can you tell me that more often? And his boss's response was quite interesting. Yes, and thank you for telling me that. Mm. Yeah. But first thing you got to know is what makes you feel good. Right. And for me, for me, it's always been the thank you for my client. And my worst jobs in my career were where I had no client involvement. 
my first job out at IBM was I wrote word processing software. This is prior to the IBM PC. And I never saw anyone use it. Barf. Wow. Yeah. I, that that was, must be hard. That was very unfulfilling. I couldn't tell you at the time why, but, you know, and it, when I taught high school math, your first year teaching, your kids do not tell you how much they love you. They give you crap. <laughs> it was my second year that all my first year kids came back in droves to tell me how much they appreciated me. Right. Well, I love what you said, too, is, you know, oftentimes you have to go and ask for what you want. And again, the first step is knowing what you want. But I think it's just as important to know that you have to ask for it because you can't assume that somebody really understands what motivates you or what makes you feel valued because they're thinking or they're operating in a way that um, they would want other people to operate toward them based on how they want to be valued, not how you want to be valued. <laughs> yeah, the the way I liked people to <clears throat> to ask for it is if you want to get the most out of Mark, here's what you got to do. You want me a high, you want me to be a high performing machine? Here's what you got to do. And if you tell people that in a very non-threatening way, most people go, sure. Because most of the time, it's easy. Mm -hmm. I'm doing a, a, a workshop for the top 20 law, lawyers, partners in Austin in a couple of weeks. And one thing they don't get about the millennials is the millennials want to be stroked. Now, it's not like you got to go in there and spend 20 minutes with them. You need to every day or so go in. How you doing? Do, doing a good job. Thanks. Bye. Right. Mean I got to do that? Yes. <laughs> it's not hard. You just have to realize they're 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 not like you. Right. Yes, and that's a great point because you know your whole concept for career pivot, especially in the second half of life, it really is generational. Uh, it's the the idea of well, what's going on in a person's head in the second half of life. You know, their fears, their concerns, all this talk about um, ageism. I mean, what's the reality of it and the stark reality of it and how much of that um, keeps people from, from excelling and moving forward? You, you said something very interesting earlier in the interview and you said, I just ignored it. I ignored the stuff that, you know, the, the, the feeling or the, um, the thoughts or even the words or signals that they didn't want me. <laughs> and I just went ahead and moved forward. I think that's so important for um, our audience to hear and, get, and have you as an example because you're happy doing what you're doing and you're helping other people now pivot, I'd like to say gracefully, pivot in their careers, that there are opportunities out there for them, but they have to be more intentional about it. Well, one of the challenges is we have greater career creative destruction going on now than we've ever had before. Things are changing and they're changing fast. And we had a certain expectation. I joke, I was raised to be an employee, to go work for a father-like company that would take care of me. And after 30 or 40 years, I would ride off into the sunset and retire. Mm. But, then, but then they moved my cheese. Right. <laughs> so the rules changed. 
And we have a lot of folks who are going, this is not fair. Well, it is fair, just that the rules have changed and you have to move along with them. Your career development at this point is your responsibility. I'm doing a webinar in a couple of weeks for flexjobs.com. And it's all about how to keep your career from being destroyed. There are so many online resources for you to educate yourself and stay on top of things like this podcast, um, online courses and, and other resources that by the way, are relatively low cost and you're responsible for it because stuff is changing too fast. Right. That, that again is another great point. You know, sometimes we uh, expect our employers, our families, our friends, our community to move things for us, to place things in front of us, right? And we're all out there trying to make it in this world, <laughs> and whatever, whatever that means, you know, based on where we are in our lives. And um, the accountability piece, I mean, it's, it, it's so important for, for us to remember that we have to be in a control of our own lives and our own destiny. We have to live a life by design. What are we doing actively every day to manifest the things that we say we want? Um, so I really appreciate that you said that. And again, going back to what you mentioned about opportunities are everywhere with technology, with uh, the opportunities that are available through the Internet, um, especially for those in the second half of life. I mean, it's important to really keep up to date. How is that? How has technology impacted mindsets and um, decisions in terms of clients that have come to you, Mark? I'm so curious about that because you said everything moves so fast. How do people of an older generation, because technology has changed so fast, I mean, you think about the phones that are coming out, you know, uh, every six months or year, there's a, another version already. Um, how, how has that challenged uh, folks in the second half of life? And how are you helping them navigate that? So <clears throat> uh, I've got an article going into PBS Next Avenue, which should make it into Forbes in a couple of weeks on the, I call it living at 65 in a career disaster zone. Mm. And I've got two 65 year old clients. One was came out of a traditional marketing role. She had mostly worked in small business and lots of family stuff, death and deaths in the family. And she ended up moving here to Austin. And we've been trying to penetrate some of the fortune 500, some of the headquarters here. And she used to print media. She's a little bit of social media savvy. And good example, we were trying to penetrate Keller Williams, which is the big real estate firm. It's headquartered here. Mm -hmm. They're all digital marketing. It's, it's all analytics. Right. Right. When I was in college in the seventies, people went into marketing because they didn't have to take any math. Now that has spun and that's spun very, very fast. Yeah. If you're a marketer now, you better know math. You better understand analytics. And yeah. that is, that has changed in the last five to eight years. Yes. And it's just, it's just turned. And so we are now repositioning her into the nonprofit world and, and kind of moving that and moving into some freelance and doing some content marketing, writing, 
but what she had traditionally done ain't there no more. Yeah, that's so fascinating. I've got another client who for years was a top flight program and project manager for several of the big, big technology firms working on big hardware. By the way, everything has moved to the cloud and generic hardware. That world does not exist. Both HP and IBM's hardware divisions have collapsed. When I was, when I left the hardware world in, in 2000, we had deck and we had sun. They're gone. Mm-hmm. And now it's all software. That's so, right. Right. And That's so, right. and it's a real challenge is trying to get him to pivot himself. <clears throat> so he was used to working on big complex products with lots of ambiguity well, he can do IT project management, which is, you know, managing 8, 10, 15 projects at a time where you're mostly just turning the crank, you're making you're making the process. And at the same time trying to get him software literate enough that some of the people like Amazon or some of the other startups, primarily some of the bigger software technologies, Oracle, would be even interested in. Now, are his skills transferable? Yes. He can't talk software. Right. And it's a matter of kind of finding a holding place while he retools himself. Yeah, that's a challenge. That's right. He's got to get those skills. But, but all that hardware stuff has disappeared fast. The cloud world, I, I wrote an article last year. Has your job been smacked? And, and SMAC stands for S-M-A-C, Social Mobile Analytics Cloud. Mm. That is touching everything. If you are anywhere working for a retail company these days, I'd be looking for a new career or at least a new industry. Because yes. we're going to, you know, I, I had somebody come up the other day. He says, I, I belong to a breakfast club, a very successful one. I was on the board. And he says, well, if you own a brick-and-mortar store, this would be a great place to network. And I said, what brick-and-mortar stores do I go into? Grocery stores and restaurants. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, my Vitamix blender, the, the, the container broke uh, a couple of weeks ago on a Saturday Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, I ordered a new $100 Vitamix with new blades. It was on my doorstep by 6 that evening. Yes, you're absolutely right. And, you know, uh, for our audience who are listening, I mean, especially in the industry that you're in, it's really important to know what's happening in your industry, what are the trends, and beyond your industry as well. Because you don't want to get caught blindsided when um, your employer says, okay, everybody, um, and it doesn't even have to get to laying you off. It just means, hey, we're changing a brand. We're changing up our whole operations and our system. And you know, we're going to get you training, and we're going to get you ramped up. And if you're not open to it, if you're feeling frustrated because there's change, um, you won't succeed because you won't be going with that company. You won't be moving forward with them. Yeah, I call it being a turkey. <laughs> Turkeys in this country, in the U.S., are raised by butchers. They're born into sterile environments. For three years, they live an ideal life. 
every day is better than the last. And then on the fourth Thursday of November in the third year, it's not so good to be a turkey. Mm. And so one of the things I talk about is, you know what? You need to go at least one industry conference a year. And by the way, you probably need to pay for it. Yeah. If you, I claim, yeah. if, you, if you don't think your job is going to be affected by automation or robots, you are smoking something, and yes, you are inhaling. <laughs> oh, my goodness, Mark. You and I can have uh, so many conversations. <laughs> I can't believe that the time is, um, is already at the place where we have to come to a close. But I love, what, I love all your key points. I mean, it makes sense why you've been featured on Forbes and PBS and so on. This is great stuff. This is stuff that is really important for not just – uh, folks in their second half of life for everybody who is in a position or is in a career mode. Anybody, everybody. This is these tips are so important. You know, to keep up with what's going on in your industry and beyond, to know what you want and to plan before you just jump and make a, a new a new career. Um, I like the idea of repurposing, by the way. But in any event, what I'd love to do now is to have you share how our audience can get a hold of you, learn more about um, you, get your books, all that good stuff. What's the best way for them to find out more information? Sure. <clears throat> okay, you can go to careerpivot.com and hit on the on the contact me button or email me at mark. It's M-A-R-C. My mama knew how to spell at careerpivot.com, or you can get on Amazon and you can find Repurpose Your Career, a practical guide for the second half of life. Or you'll also, if you go to um, my website, you'll find links to all the books in, on Amazon. Uh, I also want to tell people to make sure and check out my podcast of Repurpose Your Career. And for your listeners, if they will go to careerpivot.com slash SOAR, S-O-A-R, uh, I'll have... You can subscribe and I'll give you all three or I guess three or four preview chapters that I did originally for um, Repurpose Your Career. And by the way, if you listen to my podcast, I am previewing the audiobook for my uh, that should be out in September. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing that for our SOAR community. We really appreciate that, Mark. I know that everything you have in your brain is very valuable. So we appreciate you for wanting to share that with uh, our community. Well, thank you very much. It's been great. To, this has been, an, as we all like to say, an interesting discussion. It has been an interesting discussion. I like it that way. So we'll have you come back and have more interesting discussions. I love what you have to share, and please keep doing what you're doing. There are a lot of people out there that need your support um, and just more knowledge, like you, like you mentioned, you know, to have the knowledge that they need to live a successful life. Thank you so much for your time. And to our listeners, thank you so much for your continual support. You know how much you mean to us. And we will bring you great content again and again. Thank you. Until next time, have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of SOAR Podcast. Join us by visiting soarcommunitynetwork.com.